forgive my voice this morning if I'm shaky. I'm cold, because I'm always cold, and I needed to warm up outside. And uh, I've also had a fair amount of caffeine, which is normal. So I haven't done this in a while, um, and I have, um, not for any lack of Pastor Fred asking, but it's kind of been like, I don't know if I can do that, or if Matt's on call or drill, and then I have to worry about the people, my people, the ones you saw filter through here that I always come with, um, making sure they're okay while he's gone. So I haven't I haven't uh, preached, but I've actually had this word uh, stirring in my spirit since November. And um, so for just a time as this, right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to come and just be in the midst here. Lord, I ask that your heart would come through this word. Lord, I ask that it would empower and strengthen body. Minister to us, God, so that we can go forth and minister to you and to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would turn to 1 Peter 3. First Peter 3 talks about godly living. And in verse 8, it says, I'm going to start here because this is the challenge always to me, right? To sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Anybody else have trouble with that every now and then? You know? Like, sympathetic. In our house, sympathetic is a word you find in the dictionary. It's not anything that kind of happens. I'm sorry, did you hurt yourself? Maybe you shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Kind of how things work around our house, okay? Um, If we jump down, verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. When I was a kid, we uh, I went to Christian school, and one of our verses that we always had to write in our paces, we had our workbooks, and even if you were doing math, you had a scripture verse that you memorized in each book. And uh, this, this verse... Um, Sanctify Christ in your heart, being ready to make a defense or give an account, is the King James Version, to everyone who asks you to give account for the hope that's in you. And so I've known that scripture verse, and I always imagined it going something like this, you know, like, oh, me, happy-go-lucky, going around, I have so much hope, and then someone being like, you have so much hope, you are so joyful, you are so happy. Tell me, tell me, what is it in you that, that makes you so happy? What must I do to be saved, right? We, I, I always had this, like, flowery picture of how that would go. Everybody would be so happy to hear the hope that I had and why I had it. 
But if you actually read the wording, it doesn't necessarily sound like that. But sanctify Christ as Lord is in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give account for the hope that is in you. And then it says, so, and keep a good conscience so that in all the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That doesn't sound like this. It's this happy, flowery, like, oh, why do you have such hope within you? No? It sounds like, what the heck is wrong with you? (laughs) You must be a science denier. Guys, I've been called a science denier, like, every day for the past four weeks. No! I'm not a science denier. I am. I am. I refuse to acknowledge anything that sets itself up higher than the name of Jesus Christ. Let's put it that way. The name of Jesus Christ is paramount. And anything that sets itself up higher than that, I'm going to go, nope. Not. Okay? But people are not going, they're not always happy to hear our defense. They don't always want to know, or they're always they they may be accusatory in why do you have hope? You shouldn't have hope. Have you been able to find toilet paper? If not, no hope. <laughs> First Corinthians one eighteen. And actually I think I have that up. On my phone. It's a well-known verse. And I would quote it, except for I'd probably quote it wrong. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Sometimes our hope, sometimes... Our trust in Jesus Christ looks like foolishness to the world. Most of the time. Because they don't get it. It's not logical. Sometimes I get it. I was just telling Melissa the other day. I was driving home. And then I said, you know, my job is numbers. And so the more more I look at numbers and the more I look at data and the more I get in my logical brain, sometimes I go, this whole, like, faith thing is weird. Anybody else ever think that? Like... This whole God, faith, trust thing is just weird. It's not, because it doesn't go through our logical brain, right? So, when the scripture tells us to be ready to give a defense, it's because this isn't a natural inclination always for us to want to know what the hope is. We naturally want to click on the worst-looking headline. Right? Okay. So let's sort of transition here. I heard this lecture in November at a conference, and it, like, burned in my spirit. Ever have those um, occasions where you are in the secular arena? You are at a meeting, at Kiwanis, you're, I don't know, you're wherever. You're, you're hearing someone speak, and you go, oh, that's a biblical principle. That's God ordained. Hey, look at that. The word.
world is recognizing what God's saying. And so because I went to school and I have all this scripture in my head as this person was speaking and presenting this um, lecture, the uh, scriptural references were coming back to my head. Oh, I know why that works. That works because God said this. See, I love my favorite uh, line in the song, a um, hundred billion times, says, and once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. That's my all-time favorite line, right? Because... God speaks, and then sometimes it takes science and the rest of us some time to catch up with him. So I heard this lecture, and it was about something called emotional intelligence. And I'm pretty sure that if you are in the, uh, I don't know, Job, then in your job you have heard this title. Okay, if you're out there, it's it's kind of a new, um, or a new way to present an old idea. But it was so good. And um, let me just give a shout out in case the the presentation was by um, a gentleman named Scott Warwick. Uh, so if you want to Google him, I don't know everything he says, but I'm going to tell you that the stuff that he presented was right on um, at our conference that I was at. And as he was speaking about emotional intelligence, I was like, oh, this is what we call God's method of <laughs> um, conflict resolution. This is what we call, um, this is what scripture tells us to do. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. But sometimes we're like, oh yeah, we forgot about that. So I just kind of want to go through this really quick. And I'm going to try and do it in a concise manner here. And I'm going to do, I'm going to use the life of Peter to outline this. Because um, my kids always have a fight as to who's the better disciple, right? Elena says John, and usually I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's John. And he's the one that the father, you know, he says, I'm the one that God loves. Like, I'm the one that Jesus loves. He knew, he knew the love, right? Kind of in reading through this was like, oh, yeah, I'm Peter. Kind of like Peter. I get Peter. I feel Peter right here. I get him. Yeah, so it's going to continue. Don't don't fight about it right now, guys. So, in the context of emotional intelligence, it talks about how we have one fight or flight instinct. Okay, we have, and it, and in saying that, it means that our reaction is the same whether someone throws rocks at us or someone says. <laughs> Who do you think you are? If someone says something to us that causes us to get angry or frustrated or or have that fight or flight response, right? Or someone does something to us, it doesn't matter. We react the same. Um, Anybody else ever get so angry that your eyes cross? Is that just me? Because that really happens to me. Like, I will hit a point where I get so angry that I can't see straight. And then I have a heck of a headache. <laughs> it most often happened when I was pregnant. Okay? Little extra hormones. Really, really would get so angry I couldn't see straight. 
And it was never because someone was trying to attack me physically. You know, I never got jumped in a parking lot. I wasn't, but I would get, I would have that fight or flight instinct. And what happens when you hit that point? Um, and uh, in this presentation, he says it's 145 beats per minute. If your heart rate hits 145 beats per minute, you're done. The blood leaves your brain. It leaves the logical processing point of your brain, and it goes where? To your arms, your legs, and your lungs to either run away or fight. Okay? That's science. And he's got really cool things. Like he had this um, special, I don't know if it was an MRI, special CAT scan, where they had they scanned his brain and where the blood flow was going when he was calm. And then they made him take this uh, test or play this game that you couldn't win. And so he was playing this game that he couldn't win, and it made him so angry. And once he got that angry, then they put him back in the machine and took another picture because the blood flow is different. The blood flow leaves the logical processing part of our brain, the one where we make, like, wise choices, and it goes so that we can, like, fight or run away, which is why he mentions that one of the uh, most common workplace, like, violence thing is a thrown stapler. <laughs> because you literally lose your mind and whip, you know whip the stapler across the room, right? Whatever's heavy, whatever's right there. And and I believe our fight or flight instinct is a God ordained thing, right? It's to keep us safe. My friend Melissa is a black belt. She knows how to fight. She's wiser than me. She walks away most of the time. My fight or flight instinct is actually fight. <laughs> My kids have gotten almost bopped more times than I can count when they come around the corner to scare me, and I'm like, boom, ready to hit somebody. <laughs> it's not good. But we have this reaction on a daily, sometimes daily, sometimes weekly basis, where something triggers, threatens, puts us in a defensive posture, and then we have this fight-or-flight instinct. And um, one of the interesting things I thought in this presentation was that our fight-or-flight reaction to something happens in one seventeen-thousandth of a second. Stimulus goes to the amygdala, down the vagus nerve, to the adrenal gland, stimulating the fight-or-flight and it happens in a 1700th of a second. For higher road processes, for our logical brain, for us to not to react, it happens two to three times slower. It actually takes about five seconds. And I went, oh, the scripture told us that too. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. God knew we needed five seconds. We need a Snickers bar. I said that the other day. Some days I'm like a walking advertisement for a Snickers commercial. Like, here, eat this. Okay, now we can talk. So, I'm going to tie this together here, because 
I was thinking about these two things, giving in a defense, and I was thinking about um, this conflict resolution or, or how how we need to speak and, and engage people. And it's spiritual implication. And I was like, God, how does this tie together? I'm not kidding. He was like, go look at Peter. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Peter today. Peter is a prime example. We have uh, exemplified in John 18. And now I knew this was Peter who did this. But I'm going to tell you that not all of the accounts of the crucifixion list Peter as the perpetrator for this. Um, a lot of them just say a man. I think it's because maybe, um, you know, they were Peter's friends. So they didn't want to be like, uh, Peter lost his mind here. So this man, this guy did it. I don't know. But John, John's like, yeah, it was Peter. Probably because he's like, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the best one. It's fine. <laughs> John, John's like, and it was that person. <laughs> so if we look at John 18, verses 10 and 11, this is um, after the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas came and he kissed Jesus and he's turning him over. And it says... Second Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the father has given me, shall I not drink it? So I actually heard Chris Valentin say, like, Peter probably was not really trying to cut off his ear. He probably was trying to get his head. But, you know, he was, like, blinded with rage and bad... (laughs) Bad shot, so to speak, and got his ear. So, the first communication style that I'm talking about here is the fight. That's me. I, there's times when the Holy Spirit's like, no. Crap. Okay, fine. Peter was like, they're coming to take God. They're threatening him. They're, they're saying, you know, what for us? We're saying something contrary to God. Oh, no, we've got to lash out. We've got to fight. God's way is the right way. Yeah, Peter's just like, I'm going to cut off his ear. And Jesus is like, Peter. <laughs> Don't you know, I have to do this. Peter's first reaction was to fight. And then a lot of times, that's us. That's the church. We see something that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ Jesus, and we want to fight. So he says, why are you so hopeful? And you want Well, why are you not? What the heck is wrong with you? We have this fight instinct because we want to defend Jesus. That's not wrong. Peter wanted to defend Jesus. He loved him. But it wasn't actually the right way because if we go back to 1 Peter 3, was he then able with a good conscience Was he able to keep a good conscience in cutting off somebody's ear? Likely not. There are times, not that I mind the word being out there in society, I think it's important, but there are times where I look 
at some of the scripture that we put out there. And it's like the judgment ones. We want to whip that sword around to see who we can cut. That's not actually what we're called to do. Okay, so the first communication style here was fight. Peter showed us fight. Not good. The second one is flight. Flight says, actually, so I missed this. Fight says, well, I just feel strongly about this. Fight says, this cracks me up. I just tell it like it is. Yeah, I've used that one. I just tell it like it is. You don't like it? Don't listen. Flight says, I'm a really nice person. I would never say anything like that to your face. Flight says, I don't really care. It's fine. It's not an attack. It's a retreat. Flight is a retreat. Now, sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes you actually have to know when to retreat. Okay? The Holy Spirit, like I said, tells me no a lot. Oh, I was going to go post that meme. He was like, nope. (laughs) Run away. Don't do it. Okay? But as a whole, when we run away from giving an account of the hope within us, we're also wrong. We're just as wrong as if we would have cut off an ear. So let's look at Peter in this, John 18, 25 through 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. This was, um, Jesus was before the, the priest at the time, and Peter's outside warming himself. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I'm not. Nope, don't know what you're talking about. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Didn't I see you in the garden? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So Peter was like, Oh yeah, that fight thing, that was wrong. Now I'm going to pretend like I never was there. Nope, nope, not me. No, not Jesus. No, wasn't with him. Don't know what you're talking about. Mm-mm. See you later. Bye. He was like, yeah, I did it wrong, so I'm going to do it the other way. Also wrong. (laughs) And he knew it. As soon as the rooster crowed, he was like, oh, Jesus told me I was going to do that. There are times, and again, I am not speaking of when the Holy Spirit specifically tells you to be quiet. Because he does that to me. Because my mouth runs a lot. Okay, The Holy Spirit will tell you when to be quiet, but there are times where we don't want to deal. So we don't want to give an account because it's going to be difficult. It's going to take communication. It might take a meeting or two. It might take follow-up. You might have to like text or call or, or actually get in-depth with that person, and it's easier not to. It's easier just to say, I'm out. Yeah, God, you deal with them. Right? Oh, 
I love that person too much to say anything that might make them uncomfortable. And I know that they don't necessarily believe in God that way, so I'm just going to walk away. Anybody else? There's an interesting statistic um, in divorce cases. And the majority, I'm not sure what the actual percentage is, but more relationships die because of indifference than fighting. More relationships end because you say, "Mm, I don't want to deal with that, so sorry about your luck. I'm just going to walk away. I love you too much to like have conflict, so I'm going to just go over here and pretend like it didn't happen. God didn't set us up that way to ignore things and they just go away. Sometimes we want that to happen, but it doesn't. So retreating is not the answer. Fighting is not the answer. What is the answer? I love Peter because we get to see the answer. Peter went way this way, then he went way that way. But if we turn into the next book, the next book, after Jesus was, he died and and, uh, he revealed himself and he, he ascended into heaven, then we come to Acts 2 and we come to the day of Pentecost. And if you've never read Acts 2, I encourage you to go in and read Acts 2. Read about the Holy Spirit flooding in and coming in and the revelation of Him, of the Spirit of God in the first church. But they were, I mean, there were tongues of fire, there was a violent rushing wind. And in verse 12... No, verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And then, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. So, there's something happening. There's something happening in the spirit and people are seeing it, but they're like, oh yeah, they're drunk. And Peter... Instead of being like, what do you mean talking bad about my friends and God and swinging his sword and running them all out? Get out of here. Go away. Instead of fighting, instead of saying, come on, guys, we're going to go to our own little room and we're going to have this move of the Holy Spirit by ourselves where nobody else can see us. What does Peter do? He's learned. He stands up and he starts to talk. And he said, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Okay, if you read on, it talks about what Joel said. Then verse 22, he says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarite, Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the 
predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter stood up. He stood in the midst of what was happening, and he articulated it to the people. He listened to what they were saying. He said, oh, I hear them saying that these guys are drunk. They actually think that. But you know what? I know what's happening right now. God is pouring out his spirit on us. He is empowering us. And it is absolutely vital that the people here who are watching this and are seeing this understand what's happening. He engaged the people. He listened to their thought. That's it, it, the emotional intelligence. Listening is really an important part, right? And we see that Peter, like, he knew what they were talking about. He listened to what they were saying, and he gave a response that was appropriate to what they were saying. In verse thirty-seven, it says, "Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do?'" Peter said to them, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So... Peter spoke, he engaged the people, he listened to what they were saying, and he gave an appropriate response, not one out of anger to fight and hurt, not one out of iciness to just freeze them out, but an appropriate response to pierce the hearts of the people, to explain to them what God was doing, and there was a result. The next chapter in Acts 3, when you look at Acts through this lens, this filter, it's amazing what comes up. This is the healing of the lame beggar. He's with John. Peter and John go to pray. They met a man on the way. We all know the song. The, the beggar, the beggar approached them. They were approachable. He approached them and he was like, you know, I need alms. I need money. Again, they heard his need, but they listened to the Holy Spirit of God and they knew his need was not just money. So they listened to the Holy Spirit of God and they said, silver and gold have I none, but what such as I have I give to you. I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. They engaged with him and they gave him what he needed. I'm telling you, since I've started to practice some of this stuff, I actually heard this and then I had more opportunity to use it than I ever wanted. Like immediately afterwards. And I needed, I needed to train myself to stay calm. I believe that's actually important to all of us. Um, but it, I believe it's important to me in, um, the realm that I operate that I need to learn to stay calm. So like, okay, relax. Don't let your heart rate get above 145. Breathe in and out. I actually have a breathing technique that I use. Ask me about it if you have questions. It works. Stay calm. 
and listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling me. Because the Holy Spirit has now, I'm listening to the person speak, and then I'm saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that they're really asking? What is it? What is my role here? What What do you want me to say? Because we have to stay and engage. We need to change the culture. Not attacking, not retreating, but engaging. Because what happened when Peter and John engaged the lame beggar? He was healed. So not only now have they had had people added to the kingdom, but they've had people healed. Because they chose to stay and engage. Our goal isn't to be right. Our goal is to reveal the Father. I'm telling you, I believe for a long time the church has said, oh, we're going to fight. We're going to pierce the people with the sword. How dare they deny God? I'm not judging because that's sometimes where I get. And then in the response to those people who do that, the people in the church who go, oh, that's not right. No, we're going to love. Don't get me wrong. Love is also good. But we say it's love, and that means we don't engage. We just walk away. Oh, let them do their thing. It's fine. We love them enough to let them do their thing. But what we have as a result of that is a church that is not influential. It doesn't speak. It doesn't change anything because it doesn't engage anyone. We either isolate them because we're fighting them or we isolate them because we're walking away. We don't engage. We don't meet people where they they are. We don't. The power of God is not accurately communicated to the lost and dying world. (coughs) We need to practice. We need to practice that sometimes this stuff does not come natural. I don't think it came natural to Peter. That's why I kind of appreciate him. I think most of us are either fight or flight. That one or the other. You watch those funny videos, you ever seen those funny videos of people getting scared? And they're like, you have two different kinds of people, like you really can see it. You have one person who like grabs the closest thing and beats the crap out of whoever is standing there scaring them. And then you have the other person that like whoop turns around and runs as fast as they can. Like you definitely have two different kinds of people. And I think we all have a natural inclination to one or the other. But it's time for the church to engage. And I'm not... How do I say this? So Matt and I were talking. We were on our way to work. And can I use this? He said to me, I finally figured out what's bothering me about this whole thing. And I was like, what? And he said, do you know the military recognizes in the front lines that not only do you need your infantry, but you need a medic and you need a chaplain. You not only need the bodily health 
cared for, but you need the spiritual health cared for. And I would argue that the chaplains can do both. Yeah? But he said, I finally figured out. Because the attitude of the government is to the church is sit down and shut up. You have no place here. Now, I am not arguing the validity of closing things down, of not having mass gatherings, of using the YouTube or Zoom or whatever. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying there is an attitude in the world today that tells the church, sit down, shut up. You are no more than a social gathering that needs to stop. But I'm telling you, church, we are not that. We are not just a social gathering to make everybody feel good. We are important on the front lines. John G. Lake ministered to people in the plague. And when they looked at his hands, when they looked under a microscope at the germs on his hands, they were dying. Why? Because the power of the living God moved through him. Yep. Yeah. The, the Spanish flu, I just read, I had somebody posted on Facebook about a pastor during the Spanish flu. That he was like, God, are more of my people going to die? And he had a revelation of the goodness of God. And then as people were dying, what was the world doing? They were calling for the pastor. Instead of like, oh, pastor, you got to sit down and shut up because uh, you got to stay at home right now. But they, no, they were calling for the pastor. And they were saying, come, this person is dying. And he had, this pastor had a revelation of the power of God and the goodness of God. And he went and he laid his hands on this sick woman who was convulsing and dying and she was healed. Church, we have an obligation to go after the presence of God and to go out and to uh, engage the world and be articulate and make a difference and make a change and have our voice heard because it is necessary. I'm sorry, I love doctors. But for the first couple of weeks, our medical science failed us. They're catching up. I believe God gives wisdom to these men and women. But we have within us the power of the living God. It is not a time to shut up and sit down. It is a time to say, Holy Spirit, help me to articulate what you're doing in the earth today. Help me go out and be influential and bring change and bring the power of a living God to a lost and dying world. And at the end of the day, there will still be people who think you are nuts. Oh, well. There will be more people who come to understand why you have hope. What is resident within you? The goodness, the absolute goodness of our daddy God. The plans that he has for us that are good. We have to engage. We have to engage. We have to do so not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. And we have to do so being ready to give a defense, but with the gentleness and reverence and keeping a good conscience so that if we're slandered, 
the good behavior of Christ Jesus will be in us. It is really vitally important. I'm not coming here as one who has attained, right? As, as I'm doing this, I'm going, oh God, God created me a clean heart. I press on towards that mark. That mark's there and I'm pressing on. And you know what? Sometimes he says shut up and I don't do it. Shocker, I know. <laughs> Sometimes he says, I want you to engage. And I say, nope, I don't actually like them. So <laughs> listen, listen to the Holy Spirit. Understand. Go through this book. Go through this book and understand. Read Ephesians. Read Ephesians knowing that God is good. Go through Ephesians with the lens that God loves me and and he wants to show me. It'll be so different. We've got it. We have the Holy Spirit of God resident in us and the world needs it. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your tools. Thank you, God, for your way, which is higher than our way. God, I ask right now that if there is anyone watching who does not know your love and does not have your hope. I ask right now for a supernatural falling of your spirit right where they are, God. A tangible presence to build them up, to understand, God, that you are good and that you love them. And your love isn't based on how many things they do good and how many things they do bad, but it's because they are your child. And then, Holy Spirit, I ask for your empowering and your wisdom to go forth and to articulate and to engage and to spread, to spread your hope to a hopeless world. Your love, God, casts out all fear. And we have that resident inside of us. And so we have your power and your anointing and your authority to pull down the stronghold of fear. But we have to get in there and do it. So strengthen us. Make our ear attuned to your word. We thank you, God. We bless you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was great. I just, I want to close with this. You know, again, if you're on the fence, if this whole Jesus thing is new to you, if you've known him, or if you've been a part of church but never known him, rather, you've never had that personal relationship with Jesus, if you don't know his voice, here's the thing, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and 
If you're not hearing his voice, either you're not a sheep or you need to get tuned into the voice, one or the other. And uh, we're going to be doing some videos here very, very soon, hopefully turning them out in the next week or two. It's about hearing Papa's voice. But if you've never met Jesus, I want to encourage you to go to arcgenoa.org. There's another button in the top right-hand corner that says, Meet Jesus. And it just gives you an opportunity to meet Him face-to-face. It's an encounter. And that's what that puts you in position to live from that place. That's what puts us in, in the position to live from that place that Jennifer so wonderfully articulated and engaged us with. So, um, if you're making that decision, you've made that decision, or you just have questions, you want to contact us, uh, same page, uh, go contact us, and we we want to have a further conversation with you. So, thank you for tuning in. God bless you, and stay tuned. Uh, we are meeting continuing to meet with you on Thursday evening so you can be, uh, go to the ARC uh, Facebook page and uh, again there will be more coming as well so God bless